Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Why don't you bring your conversations to a close? Come and find your seat. You can bring your drinks with you. We're going to start by hearing the Bible read to us by Becca. So I'm going to invite Becca up. And let's hear from Matthew 6, starting from verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thank you, Becca. Today we're beginning a seven-part series in the Lord's Prayer. We're going to take and focus in one line at a time over the next seven weeks to really absorb what Jesus teaches us about prayer. So you might be wondering, well, why are we doing a series on prayer? Well, there are at least four reasons why. The first is this. At the beginning of this year, we felt God speak to us that 2018 was to be a year focused on building pace into life. It's what he spoke to us about as a church. And so we've looked at different rhythms and disciplines in the Christian life that enable us to keep centered on Jesus and enjoy a life lived at a pace not dictated by the expectations of the world or the prevailing culture or your boss or yourself, but a pace dictated by Jesus, our our Lord and God. And prayer is at its heart. So that's one reason. A second reason, over the summertime, those of you who are around will know that we were in the book of Daniel looking at what it means to be placed for purpose in a world where all is not as it should be. Find ourselves in in exile. Just the sense that the world is so full of sadness and tragedy and injustice and evil. We see it and we hear about it all the time. And it ought not to be this way. It's not right. And Jesus has come into that world And through his life and death and resurrection, a new kingdom has been announced. And Jesus is Lord. And that is good news. His reign of righteousness and justice and mercy and love and peace, kind of some of the things we're hearing about through worship, will come fully. But for now, we wait in expectation, seeking to play our part in furthering his kingdom in the unique locations and activities that make up our daily experience of life waiting for God's kingdom to fully come on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is at the heart of expectant waiting. So that's the second reason. Thirdly, God is stirring the church at large once again to be a praying people. Throughout history, mighty moves of God have been preceded by God speaking to his people, the church, about prayer, about our dependence upon him. 
And so in, in recent years, we've seen different movements and initiatives into prayer. Some of them would include the 24-7 prayer movement or the Thy Kingdom Come movement from the Church of England. Even this week, I was listening to Terry Virgo give an interview on prayer and how that shaped his life and how it shaped New Frontiers as a movement throughout the years, a movement that we are part of. And so we want to be attentive to what God's doing in speaking to the church at large. And then fourthly, prayer is formative. Prayer shapes us. It shapes your mind and emotions, your desires, your priorities, your relationships. How you pray tells you a lot about what you believe about God. Prayer can reinforce beliefs that you hold and it can also challenge them. Either way, for better or for worse, it's formative, it forms you. And so it's vital that our prayer life is formed in Jesus' teaching. So that's why we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer over the next seven weeks. Do you know what? Prayer doesn't come naturally to us. You'd have thought it should because we were created to be in relationship with God and to commune with God, but we seem to find it so hard. Am I the only one? Maybe you can relate to that too. Sure, there are times when I come to pray and it just takes off. Times when, when I'm, I know God's closeness and enjoying his presence and I'm caught up with who he is and what he has done and what he will do and it's just wonderful. And there are other times when I sit down to pray and my mind is just so full of thoughts that clutter or doubts that obscure God or fears and anxieties that would cause me to retreat into myself rather than press into who God is. Sometimes prayer is really hard. Sometimes it's the hardest thing. I do lots of different things in my life which can be difficult and sometimes it goes well, sometimes not so much. Like one of the things I like doing is playing football. And sometimes I play really well. A lot of the time I don't. I find it difficult. But I don't think I've ever been on the football pitch and then forgotten that I'm playing football. You know, I don't think that's not kind of woken up one minute. Oh yeah, there's a player. There's a, I must be playing football. Sometimes it comes to prayer and wine wonders and I kind of come out, oh yeah, oh, what's, oh I was praying. And somehow I forgot along the way. <laughs> Sometimes it's the hardest thing. Prayer just doesn't come naturally. But Mike Reeves says this, and the quote will come on the screen. Mike Reeves says, if prayer is the, is the chief exercise of faith, which is a phrase coined by John Calvin, then of course you're naturally rubbish at prayer because you're naturally lacking in faith. Everything, the world, the flesh, and the devil, conspires against prayer. This means that you are not the odd one out in your struggles with prayer. It's not your secret shame, which can be the crippling fear. You're just a sinner, naturally inclined away from faith and prayer. We're all sinners, and you know who the friend of sinners is? Jesus. So in a sense, if you, if, if you find prayer hard, good news, Jesus is for you and for me. We need to learn how to pray. We need help. We need Jesus to teach us. And praise God, he has. He has taught us how to pray in such a way that will form us into his likeness. And it takes time. And sometimes it's a slow formation, like learning anything. When I first learned how to drive, if I had just been dumped into a Ferrari and taken off as if I could just go at whatever speed I want and maneuver anything I want, it would have been a disaster for everyone. 
but I had to learn how to, how to move this vehicle. What is this thing they call clutch? And even now sometimes when I drive it, it can be clunky. It, it takes time to learn things. It's like that with prayer. We get to, we get to learn what it, what it, how do we relate to this mighty God who we cannot see, but who invites us close in relationship with him. Like every relationship, it requires time and learning. So that's why we're going to be looking at prayer. But the first question I want to address really this morning is, why pray? What's it all about? What's it for anyway? Why pray? And I'm going to give two reasons why not and a reason why why we do. The The first why not. We don't pray to impress others. Jesus said this in Verses 5 to 6, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've already received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. The Greek word for hypocrite refers to an actor, someone who wears a mask. They are not what they seem. On display, one thing, behind closed doors, another. Hypocrites want, to be, want people to regard them in a certain way, so all that they do is for the eyes of people. It's possible for your prayers to be more about gaining reputation, affirmation, and approval from people than being with God. You want to be seen as the kind of person who prays a lot, so for that reason you pray. Feeds your security, because your security is built on the opinion of others. So you pray so you can tell people you've been praying. Also, you can discharge some sort of responsibility, because someone's texted you and said, will you pray? And you said, yes, better do it then. It's about being seen or being heard or being known, not so much by God as by people. In Isaiah 29, 13, God speaks to his people when they were being like that and says, this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far away from me. But you know, I wonder whether all of us at some point fall into that kind of hypocrisy. I heard an interview from a Christian pastor this week who suggested that probably about only one in every 100 prayers spoken in church are actually to God. Francis Chan said something similar recently that I heard. That's a deeply unsettling statistic because I can't escape from it. It implicates me too. How often have I been more concerned with sounding eloquent than engaging with my father? I can think back to times when I too have been a hypocrite and I wince. Jesus says that if your prayer is really for the sake of your reputation, then you get what you want. You get reputation. People might be impressed for a while, but what a flimsy and unsatisfying reward that is. So elusive. Reputation's here today, gone tomorrow. It's like candy floss. (coughs) The opinion of people, it's all pink and fluffy, looks amazing. You put it in your mouth, it evaporates. And it kind of leaves you with this sugary film on your teeth, which you know is causing a decay. If your, if your heart's desire is that everyone will think well of you, then in the end it just falls flat. 
Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. If you have been up to now, stop. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Matthew 6.1. Now, just to clarify, this is not in any way saying, don't pray in front of other people. It's not saying that. It's not a public ban on prayer meetings. Okay, so still come along to the void room. <laughs> don't quote me. <laughs> it's not that. It's, it, in fact, Jesus is just about to go on to give us a structure for corporate prayer. And elsewhere, Jesus says, when two or three are gathered in my name, I'm right there with them. So of course it's not, it's, it's not about that. No, it's, it's not the form that prayer takes that's of issue. It's the motivation. It's the posture of our hearts. Neither is it having perfect motives. Because when you pray out loud, you, can, you do think about, oh, how am I going to put this in, so that I can draw other people into the prayer that I'm going to pray? But it's that if, you're, if your heart's desire is that everyone will think well of you rather than being with your father, then that kind of a prayer will form you, but it will form you into a hypocrite, a mask wearer. Jesus says, rather, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So that in the end, our public prayer is an overflow of our private prayer and devotion. Robert Murray McChain was a Scottish pastor in the 19th century. I so wanted to do an accent there, and then I realized I can't do accents, so I'm not going to. Um, he says this, he said, what you are on your knees praying before God, that is all you are and nothing more. In the secret place where no one else sees, where no one will ever know about it, there in the hidden place, your father waits for you to be with you, to draw you into his good plans and purposes, to reveal his promises to you, his father's heart, to form your security in his love. Do you want him? How you are in the secret place is how you really are. So why pray? Not to impress others. Secondly, why pray not to impress God? From verse 7, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Michael Green explains that the pagans, referred to here by Jesus as Gentiles, tended to think that God would be bludgeoned into reluctantly granting their prayers if they prayed for long enough. For Gentiles, it was not so much about impressing people, it was about impressing God and kind of getting the right combination of words to unlock some sort of blessing. Finding, finding the, right, the right words and, and repeating them. Mustering up your staying power so that after a really long time, God would just have to give you what you want. Prayer was more like a combination lock. Are we ever like that? My, I've got three daughters. I love my kids. And um, they ask me for things all the time. All the time. But sometimes they, they ask me for something and immediately provide all the reasons why I just have to give it to them. Okay, so can, I, can we go on a bike ride or can we read a book, because I did this, and she got that, and it's my turn, and otherwise, uh, it won't be fair, and don't be a meanie, you know. 
And when they started to ask, I was ready to give them what they wanted, and I was anticipating it. They, they always ask for that kind of thing. But after all of that protesting, what I heard was this suspicion that Daddy doesn't really want to give us something good, so we better tell him all the reasons why he has to, and why we deserve it. Piling up empty phrases. I, I wonder whether we bring that suspicion to God. I think we do. It's as old as Genesis 3. The idea that God actually wants to withhold something good from us. That he's not truly good and kind and generous for us. It's, it's the lie that was planted by the serpent in the garden at the beginning and its poison still affects us all. Unsure what God is like. Suspicious that really he's keeping something good from us. So prayer becomes bargaining. When we pray like that, it forms us into skeptics who don't so much love God as use God. You know, there are many times when my girls do come up to me and ask for something without any self-justification, just confident that I want the best for them. Many times. And when they do that, I'm able to say, yes, Chloe, Anna, Ivy, of course, I'd really love you. Jesus says, don't heap up empty phrases, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Come to him knowing he's your good, good father. Tim Keller quotes the old Anglican prayer book. And, it, and the old Anglican prayer book really gets it right when it says this. That God, as father, is quicker to hear us than we are to pray. And he has want to give us far more than we desire or deserve. He's a good father. The reward of prayer is not something that God abstractly wants to give us if we provide the right combination of words. Prayer is not a bargaining exercise whereby we contribute certain words, a certain amount of time, emotional energy, faith, feelings, and in response, God contributes something that we desire from his great storehouse, some sort of circumstantial breakthrough or material gift or spiritual experience. If you think about prayer in that way, it will form you into someone who doesn't so much love and trust God as uses God. He's necessary only for what he can do. Is your prayer life like that at all? Do you use God more than you want God? How do you know? How do I know? Well, you know if you're really using God rather than loving God if you only ever come to him when you have some sort of a need or trouble. And as soon as the need or the trouble is gone, so is your desire to come before him. Or if the need is not met and the trouble persists, then you turn against God because what use is he anyway if he doesn't give me what I want? Jesus says, don't be like that. Prayer that simply uses God is prayer that misses God. He's not a bargaining master. He's a good father. Of course you can bring all of your needs to him and all your troubles and your anxieties, of course. Again and again and again throughout the scriptures, that's what people do. Again and again. And verses like 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Or Luke eleven nine, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. But in the end, the, the termination of your fears and anxieties is not after receiving some abstract blessing, but knowing God is your father. He is the one who we want, whether we know it or not. 
The real discovery of prayer is that he himself is the gift that's freely given. So the psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And as you delight yourself in the Lord, you find that he increasingly becomes the desire of your heart. Because if you have him, you have everything. Which is why Paul can say, everything is rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In him, we have free access to the Father. So to know God as Father through Christ his Son, that's prayer's great delight. Do you want God or are you using God? Even now, he invites you to come and know him, not just use him. So pray not to impress others, not to impress God. Why pray? To know and enjoy God as Father. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's where prayer begins. Jesus, the eternal, divine Son of God, who for all eternity has known and enjoyed the infinite love of the Father, came down to share with us what is his. He became like us so that we might become like him. Children of God, dearly loved. Able to approach almighty, holy, awesome, terrifying God as our Father. No one ever prayed like Jesus before Jesus walked the earth. To dare to approach Yahweh, whose name cannot even be spoken, as Father? No one prayed like that. So reverent, yet so familiar, so confident, yet so captivated by God. Jesus referred to God as Abba, which is the Aramaic form of Daddy. Conveys intimacy and confidence, absolute trust and delight, like a little child coming before their loving father with arms wide open. Again, my kids... They have all sorts of different names for me. You know, some good, some not so good. Um, very often, if they spent all day with uh, Becca, then Ivy especially will just call me mummy for like the whole evening. And that's fine. I mean, that's not a bad thing. But in the end, I'm just not mummy. I just can't live up to that kind of expectation. <laughs> or they'll call me grandma. You know, I get that quite a lot. Grandma, grandma. Do I look like grandma? <laughs> After a while, you get a bit offended. I love my... I love my mother-in-law. She's great. <laughs> Can we take that out of the recording, please? Be... Sometimes they call me Stinky Boy. Not so good. Uh, Mike. That's a bit cheeky. Bronze Face. Mister. Chloe sometimes calls me. Oi, Mister. Nothing quite like Daddy, though. When they call me Daddy, that word communicates it all. When they come calling me daddy, then that communicates confiding trust and affection and confidence and openness. They can come to me any time, day or night, as daddy, and I'll respond to them. No one has access to a person quite like a child to their parent. And so it can be the middle of the night, and Ivy could toddle along, my little four-year-old, and, and say, um, daddy, I'm really thirsty. Daddy, can you get me a drink? And sure, I'll be bleary-eyed, but... I'd get up and get her a drink. Whereas no one has access like that. If Becca says to me, I'm really thirsty, can you get me a drink? I'm probably going to say, get your own drink. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure I would get a drink as well. But, 
but there's nothing like the access that a child has to their daddy. Nothing like that access to know your daddy. Jesus has come that we might know his father as our father, as our Abba, our daddy. God is creator. He is sustainer. He is holy, dwelling in unapproachable light. Yes, that's all true. But before all of that, he's our father, our daddy. Jesus was sent from the Father and he willingly came into the world, emptying himself so that we may share all that is his. He came to reconcile us to God. The reconciliation needed to happen on our part because God has always been for us, not against us. We needed to have our suspicion dealt with and come to know what he's really like. And so Jesus came to destroy sin before sin destroys us. So that, as 2 Corinthians 5 puts it, we might be reconciled. So that we may be brought to God through Christ and cry along with him, Abba, Father. Through Jesus we can know God as our Father. What a joy. You know, in his brilliant book, The Good God, Mike Reeves describes the power of knowing God as Father through the lens of John Owen. John Owen was a 17th century Puritan theologian. And Owen saw how we so often fly away from the Father as if he, as if he were dark and distant. And Owen says the Father is so sensitive to this. If we think of him first as mighty God or holy judge or unapproachable light, then we will treat him primarily as one to be avoided or at least to be nervous about. But though he is those things, though those descriptions are true of God, the Bible reveals him first as most loving father. And so John Owen says, you can no more trouble or burden the father than to refuse to believe he loves you. He loves you. He's your loving father. We so quickly forget this. Even at the beginning of this week, I was struggling, thinking, how can I, how can I come before God? Does God, really, does God really accept me? Have I done what needs to be done to be able to come? And I, I will periodically have those kind of struggles, and it kills your prayer life. And then I, just at the beginning of the week, was just um, stood outside in the garden and it was evening and there were some stars and these, the words came to me, our father. I just repeated it um, again and again, our father, our father, Jesus' father, my father. Jesus has brought me close. Our father changes everything changes everything. Uh, Romans 5 talks about the love that the Father has poured out into our heart by the Spirit. And 1 John 3 says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. In the NIV it says, what kind of love has been lavished upon us? What kind of love? What kind of love is this? It's the kind of love with which he has eternally and infinitely loved his precious son in whom is his delight. In John 17, Jesus is praying. 
with his disciples in the upper room before he's about to be betrayed and then crucified. And in John 17, 23, Jesus is praying for those who will believe in him, for us. And he says, may they become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me (coughs) and have loved them even as you loved me. Can you hear that? The Father loves you even as he loves Jesus. And how has he loved Jesus? Eternally, extravagantly, infinitely. Galatians 4 verse 4 to 5 explains that God has sent his son into the world that we might receive adoption as sons. There's no distinction. Just this morning I got sent a little video from my sister. um, And my sister has... Uh, four children, and, and one of them's an adopted child. And so Scarlett and Leah were just in this video and they're just saying, you know, some lovely things. And they are both the same completely loved, completely accepted, completely belonging. There's no distinction. Those who are in Christ are eternally, extravagantly, and infinitely loved. We need have no lingering suspicion. You and I need have no lingering suspicion. What's the Father like and can we come? Yes, through Christ you can come. We have such a hard time believing this. I don't fully believe this. I think you don't. If we did, we would look so much different. Uh, the fear and anxiety and striving and discontent and grumbling and comparing and envying and idolatry, the sins we fly to at times of stress, would stop if you really grasped that the Father loves us as he loves his Son. We need to learn this, have it presented to us again and again and again, this promise. This word of God is so marvelous and it's so counterintuitive, we need to be formed by it. And so in the Lord's Prayer, all supplication for provision, for daily bread, for forgiveness and for deliverance starts from knowing God as Father and adoring him. He is your Father. This week, come to him in secret and know yourself welcomed through Christ. That's why we pray as we take hold of this truth of our adoption through Christ, revealed in Scripture by his Spirit, prayer becomes the enjoyment of knowing the maker of all things is our Abba. Mike Reeves says, finally, prayer does not make you more accepted. Instead, prayer is growing in the appreciation of what you've already been given. You don't pray to earn anything. You pray to enjoy what has already been given you in Christ. His Father is our Father. His Spirit is our Spirit. His status is our status, received as a gift. Jesus is given. So over the next seven weeks, we're going to learn from Jesus how to pray, to enjoy God in prayer. Let's commit to it. Let's allow ourselves to be formed. It's not always going to be easy. You might fall asleep. You might forget you're praying, like me. But as we continue to allow Jesus to form us in prayer, we will enjoy the freedom of the children of God ever increasingly and be ready from that moment 
to keep moving on. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to invite Andrew to come up and we're going to respond by just singing a song. Why don't you stand up? (coughs) (coughs) Maybe just close your eyes where you are. Maybe put your hands out in front of you. That's just a way of using our posture to, to reveal where our heart is at, open to God. Maybe as you've heard this morning, you thought, oh, perhaps you know, I think I've been a hypocrite or I think I've been using God and the Lord doesn't come to bring condemnation. He comes to free you from that existence so that you may rather enjoy God as Father. So even now, Repent, turn around from that and receive his gift to you. Even now, know him again as your father, not because of what you have done, but because of his free gift of Jesus to you and to me. Heavenly Father, you are more wonderful than we dare imagine. And we often place such limits on your goodness by our own fears or expectations. I thank you that your word pierces through our darkness and brings light. I thank you that we see what you're like through your son Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, and he is full of grace and truth. Thank you that through Jesus, Father, we can come to you as Abba, and it changes everything, Lord. It changes everything. Lord, would you form us in this truth by your spirit as we enjoy who we are in your son, our Lord and God and Savior. Father, we love you. Amen.